The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Gibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Gibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an Internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. The Wellness Community recently joined forces with Gilda's Club to become the largest provider of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Many of you probably know that October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. On today's show, we're going to shed light on a very specific group of women who have breast cancer but uh, rarely benefit from the money raised by the races and walks that you hear about uh, that go towards breast cancer research. But uh, before we jump into that topic, we're going to move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Psychological group therapy for women with breast cancer may help them not only to cope better with their disease, but also live longer, U.S. researchers said on Monday. The idea that such therapy can extend survival in cancer patients has been controversial for two decades, and past studies have yielded conflicting results. The new study, which involved 227 women with breast cancer, was led by Ohio State's Barbara Anderson. Half of the study participants took part in a year of therapy in groups of 8 to 12 patients led by two clinical psychologists. The remaining women did not. After 11 years, the women who participated in the group therapy were 56% less likely to die of breast cancer and 45% less likely to have their cancer return, the researchers wrote in the journal. Researchers said that group sessions, among other things, aimed to reduce the women's distress, train them how to relax and improve coping skills, improve their diet and exercise habits, and discourage smoking and drinking alcohol. The improved survival may stem from better immune function resulting from stress reduction, the researchers said. This is an important study, says Dr. Mitch Gallant, Senior Vice President of Research and Training at the Wellness Community. Similar to the Wellness Community, the groups were all facilitated by professionals. In addition, the intervention itself mirrors the key elements of a Wellness Community patient active support group. The therapy sessions began after the women had breast cancer surgery, but before they started chemotherapy and radiation treatments. They took part in weekly sessions for four months and monthly sessions for another eight months. Among the 54 women who died during the study period, those who took part in group therapy lived longer than the others. And among the women whose cancer came back, the recurrence happened later in those who had done the therapy sessions. In other news, older men and younger women fare worse with stomach or gastric cancer than patients in other gender and age groups, research shows. Scientists hypothesize that the difference in disease outcome is related to sex hormones and suggest that further studies should be performed to confirm this. The findings, reported in the archives of surgery this month, are based on a study of nearly 1,300 patients with gastric cancer. 
The subjects included 175, or 13.5%, aged 40 years of age or younger, and 1,124, or 86.5%, older than 40 years of age. Tumor characteristics differed significantly between the two age groups, and yet in the overall analysis, the prognosis of younger and older patients was comparable. The difference in survival did not emerge until the researchers divided the subjects by both age and gender. Younger men had the best 10 year survival at 62.5%, while older men had the worst at 44.6%. Older and younger women had intermediate survival rates at 56.2% and 51.9%, respectively. The findings suggest strongly that both age and gender must be taken into account when predicting survival from gastric cancer, the investigators conclude. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News. As I mentioned at the top of the show, October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month.、Uh, I'm sure you've seen the pink ribbons that、uh, decorate cereal boxes and yogurt labels, you name it.、Uh, but of the estimated 2.5 million women living in the United States、uh, who have had at one point been treated for breast cancer, there's a smaller group of approximately 155,000 women living with metastatic breast cancer who you don't often hear about. Uh, the wellness community provides education and support resources to women with metastatic disease through the publication of our educational book and corresponding workshops called Frankly Speaking About Advanced Breast Cancer, which is made possible with a charitable contribution from Bristol Myers Squibb. But we realize that there is more work to be done here in raising awareness of the needs of women with advanced breast cancer, which is why we're pleased to have two very special guests with us here today. First, we have Ellen Moskowitz. Ellen was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer in 2003 and went on to become the co founder of the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network. Thanks for joining us, Ellen. It's my pleasure to be here. And we are also joined by Suzanne Hebert, who is living with metastatic disease and is the vice president at the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you for having me, Kim. Well, we've got a lot to cover on the show today, so、um, I'm going I'm to get started with you, Ellen.、Um, let's start off with the basics. It is、uh, estimated, as I said earlier, that 155,000 women in the U.S. are currently living with metastatic breast cancer.、Um, tell us, Ellen, what is metastatic breast cancer and how is it different from other types of cancer? That's a great question because there are so many confusions and misconceptions out there. Breast cancer, it's also known as early stage cancer and primary breast cancer, and that's when the cancer cells are in the breast and perhaps in the surrounding tissue and perhaps in the lymph nodes under the arm, but they're in that breast area.、Mm-hmm. Metastatic breast cancer is when the cancer cells have left that breast area and they've traveled. They travel through the bloodstream or the lymph system and they go to other parts of the body. Generally, it's the bones, liver, lungs, and brain. Okay. For primary breast cancer, the early stage breast cancer, the patients, it's men and women, they do their surgery, they may do radiation, they may do chemo. And they live with that anxiety, and then they get to move on with their life. They're finished with it. They got their last treatment, and they're done.、Mm-hmm. For those of us with metastatic disease, we do do some surgery. There is radiation that's done, but chemo is something that we do forever. There's no end date to it. And we hope that forever is a long time. We don't, get back, we don't get to go back to our life because our life is now ongoing treatments. We have scans, we have blood counts, and we're always living with the anxiety of knowing that each treatment is going to stop working eventually because that's the nature of the disease. And it's a never ending race we're on. So it's not that you're on one chemo for long term. 
we're on one chemo for as long as it works for us. For as long as it works, and then what happens when it stops working? Then we have to try another treatment and hope that it works. So we need to give it a four-month time span for it to kick in. Uh-huh. So it's a really, it's an ongoing process. This is, your, this is your new life. That's right. And we have to hope during that four months it's working. And then if we find out, wow, four months it hasn't worked, we have to try something else. So that's like four months of wasted time. So it's very conceivable for somebody with metastatic disease to go through three, four chemos a year. Wow. And just keep building up. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. I think people are not aware of that. And is it, and so we talked about women with earlier stage breast cancer, oftentimes they have surgery or radiation chemo. Yes. Then there's, then the, that basically eliminates the disease and then they go back to their life. But is it common for women with early stage disease to eventually have a recurrence of breast cancer or, or get metastatic breast cancer? Do we know about that, Ellen? Yes. The t- statistics tell us that 30% of people who have early-stage breast cancer will go on to become metastatic, and okay. they don't know why. But at the same time, that means that 70% of those people will not develop metastatic disease, and that means that they will not die of breast cancer. You only die if the disease is metastatic. Uh-huh. Um, a breast cancer that stays in the breast area cannot kill you. And are those 70% of women considered cured? Well, people throw around that word cure. Yeah. I don't think doctors use that word cure. <laughs> mm-hmm. People like to feel safe. People like to feel this whole illusion of their survivorship. Um, there really isn't a cure for breast cancer in any stage. Those of us with stage 4, we don't have that illusion anymore that there is a cure for us. What about um, the idea when we say, oh, they're past their five-year mark? What does that mean, Ellen? Why is that important? Um, it just means that the drug was tested for five years. Mm-hmm. It's a random number. It really doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Somehow that's caught on, and it's become this whole myth that people live by. Wow, I hit five years. I'm safe. I'm cured. I'm a survivor. Yeah. And I don't really know what that means. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Suzanne, you were diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer in 2004. Um, how did you discover that you had this kind of cancer? Well, um, in 2004, uh, I was 39 years old, and I had a two-year-old daughter and um, was nursing my infant son, and I felt a lump in my right breast. Um, I knew that I had a lump there. Uh, but because I was younger, meaning premenopausal, and because I was nursing, which certainly causes you know a lot of changes in the breast tissue, yeah. um, I just really had no suspicions at all um, about the lump, and um, I did go to my OBGYN, and um, he told me that they they don't actually do mammograms on nursing women, and I needed to wait six months until I was finished nursing, Mm -hmm. and he gave me, you know, requisition to get a mammogram, um, which I did, and, um, you know, things just really spiraled out of control at that point. Um, Things happened very quickly. It was a very frightening time, and because the initial tumor was quite large. It was about five centimeters. That immediately put um, sort of red flags up to my doctors that I needed to be tested to see if any of the cancer cells had left the breast tissue. So I was put through a series of what they call staging tests. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a bone scan, which uh, a spot on my spine glowed, and they did a biopsy of my spine and found that I had breast cancer in my spine, in my bone. 
and 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 what was what was the 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 process after that the treatment that the 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 surgery what you know what happened after that um i did because the initial tumor was quite large i did have a mastectomy um which is not the usual um step for someone who's metastatic oftentimes they don't do initial surgery but i did have that done um i did go through chemo and um because my particular cancer is responsive to estrogen, uh, I was able to be on a hormonal treatments for several years to knock the estrogen out of my system mm-hmm. so that um, it wouldn't feed the cancer, and that was actually able to control the cancer for quite a, a good number of years. Of years. So, Ellen, we've got a minute or two until the break, but let's, let's at least start a conversation on what types of treatments are available to women with metastatic breast cancer, and, 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 and are we seeing some better research or improvement in that area? Well, there are numerous treatments that are available. The treatments, there's radiation and there's surgery, which we already discussed, but mostly we hear about chemo, and that can be effective in killing cancer cells. The challenge is that it kills all the fast-growing cells, mm-hmm. and it's toxic, and it's very tough on the body. Yeah. And remember, those of us with metastatic disease, we stay on the chemo. So it's not that we do it for six weeks. We do it on and on and on and on, yeah. and it becomes really challenging. Um, even better than the chemo, there are ta- now targeted therapies, um, which is what we need more of. Suzanne mentioned she was on a hormone treatment, so that's targeted for the hormones. It only affects the hormones. It's not her entire body that's being blasted. There's also targeted therapy for those who test positive for the HER2 new protein, and that's a wonderful, wonderful treatment also. We need more targeted treatments. Do all Uh, women who are diagnosed with breast cancer get tested for that protein? Yes, they should be. They should be tested for their estrogen status. They should be tested for their HER2 status. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, many women who are diagnosed as triple negative, meaning that they don't know what's feeding the cancer, Mm -hmm. they're now being tested to see if androgen is something that they respond to. They need to find out what's feeding the tumor. And once they know what's feeding it, then they can come up with a targeted therapy to stop the process of feeding the tumor so it just starves itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're doing a better job at some of these diagnostic tests in terms of understanding what is feeding the tumor so we can be a little more precise about the treatment? Yes, in this 40-year war we've been having um, against breast cancer since Nixon's day, We have learned a lot about breast cancer. We have not found a cure for it, but they have learned a lot. And what we do need are more targeted therapies. There's just not enough options in the metastatic setting. Yes. Ellen, we're going to talk a little bit more, um, have a chance to talk a little bit more about research and some of these right. yeah. uh, advances that we're seeing because I think that our listeners probably have a, uh, a great interest in this. Uh, October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Today we're talking about metastatic breast cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. This ain't your mama's brain and health show. Tune in and get ready for entertainment and information about your mind and body that will really change your life. Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio is a sane departure from conventional thinking about diet, health, and the brain. Host Nora Gedgaudis will also combine humor and science to illuminate the mind and open your eyes to the principles of neurofeedback and diet, which can help you and your family live a better life. Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio airs live Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about metastatic breast cancer in light of October National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I'm here with Ellen Moskowitz, who is currently living with advanced breast cancer and is co-founder of the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, and Suzanne Hebert, who is also living with metastatic disease and is the vice president at the Metastatic Breast Cancer uh, Network. Ellen, tell us about your organization, the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, uh, and its mission, how it got founded. Give us some of that background. Okay. The organization was actually founded by two women, Nina Shulman and Jane Sawyer, back in 2006. They were diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. They belonged to a major breast cancer support group, and they were isolated. When they got this diagnosis, they just didn't fit anymore. They scared the other women, and they became very isolated in the whole breast cancer community. Mm. They felt the stigma of being a failure. So they got together and they founded this organization. It's an independent advocacy group, and we're now national. And what the goal is, we seek to change the way metastatic breast cancer is viewed by the whole breast cancer community and by the public, the whole public at large. What we work is to raise awareness of metastatic breast cancer. We want to give people living with breast cancer a greater voice and visibility in the breast cancer community because everybody knows the people who have died of breast cancer, and they know the people who come out in October and tell us how they beat the disease. But what they don't know is that there are 155,000 of us who are presently here living with this disease. So what we do as an organization, 
we provide education and information. We do conferences. We're working on a kit for the newly diagnosed. We have a brochure of information. We grow awareness of metastatic breast cancer so that people will be aware of what this disease is. And ultimately, we're fighting for treatments to extend life. Mm-hmm. Although we're not a support group, we keep track of metastatic support groups. And we make that information available on our website because support is such an important feature. Yeah, yeah. Suzanne, you talked about when you were diagnosed, you were very young, and um, that it was a real blow. And uh, I imagine that, that the first stages are really trying to get a handle on the diagnosis, a handle on the treatment, making that plan. But, but beyond that medical piece, did you seek out um, emotional support? Did you look for ways to kind of cope with the diagnosis, or did, did, did your family look for any support? Um, well, I know I, I absolutely looked for support. I mean, you were just so devastated. Um, you, you're looking for any type of support at that time. And um, actually, I felt pretty um, relieved that I had breast cancer, you know, as opposed to some of the other cancers because I, you know, I had seen the pink ribbons and I, I knew of the organizations that existed, and I, I really felt like there would be a lot of support out there for me. Uh, and my hospital did have a breast cancer support group, which I began to attend. Uh, and I met some really wonderful women there. And uh, at first, it really did give me a lot of support to meet others who had been through this. Uh, but really, sort of slowly, I, I began to realize that, um, you know, my story was not the same as their story. And as Ellen had alluded to, I, I felt that when I began to tell people I was metastatic, I could see the look on their face, and I sort of knew that I was scaring people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I knew I was never going to have that day that they had all had where they they were cancer-free. Yeah. And so I, I really actually began to feel almost worse when I went to the support group instead of better. So I really stepped away from that. Yeah. And um, I really knew that my, my story was very different from their story. So how did you find the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, and why, why did you choose to become involved with that organization? Well, once I realized that it really was a different sort of situation, instead of searching for breast cancer resources, I started searching for metastatic breast cancer resources specifically, and I came across the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network's website, and right there on the homepage, their mission is you know right there, and it just clicked. I knew that, you know, this is where I needed to put my efforts, that this was a group of people who were just like me, living their lives as I was. But more importantly, it was um, a sense of empowerment by reading the mission statement because not only were these people living with metastatic disease, but they were people who were searching to make a difference in the awareness of the disease and um, the influence of dollars toward research of metastatic disease and basically, you know, fighting for treatments, you know, to extend life. And I knew that's really um, what I was looking for. Ellen, are we, Ellen, are we seeing more research um, with regard to better treatment options for women with metastatic disease? Well, research is always going on, but the problem for us, for the 155,000 of us living with this disease, what we need research in is into stopping the process of metastases once it's begun. Yeah. And what research that goes on now is for early detection, prevention, and cure. And while those are all wonderful things that should happen, that's not going to be helping us because we want our cancer to be stable. Stable is a good thing. We don't need it out of our body. We just need it to be stable. 
-hmm. And we want metastatic breast cancer to become a truly chronic disease. And the research dollars aren't going for that. They're going for primary early-stage breast cancer and how to prevent metastases. So what are you guys doing to try to change that? Well, we're working on awareness. Our thought is to develop awareness about this disease. Um, You know, we have our awareness program, our Awareness Day campaign. We have members across the country who have contacted their mayors of cities, towns, townships, villages, counties, all over to get proclamations declaring October 13th, one day out of the entire month, to be Metastatic Breast Cancer Awareness Day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know this, Kim, but we are so proud that the United States Senate agreed by unanimous consent to a resolution declaring the day nationally across the whole country. So that's really an amazing thing for us. Because this encourages all people to be more informed and aware about metastatic breast cancer. Fantastic. And it points to the urgent need for new breast cancer treatments to provide longer life for us. Are you seeing, Ellen, with this awareness, are you seeing more support and more resources for women with metastatic breast cancer? Uh, We're seeing a lot more support from breast cancer organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, we do see where they're now offering programs for metastatic patients, which is absolutely wonderful. It's primarily, though, in larger cities. There's people, members of ours in small towns who have never seen another metastatic person. And when they go to their breast cancer groups, there's nothing there for them. But change is happening. It's not happening quickly, but it is happening. Why, why is it important for metastatic breast cancer patients to get together, to be connected and to, 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 to share their experiences with, with one another as opposed to being in a more general breast cancer group, let's say? Well, we don't fit into the regular breast cancer group. As Suzanne said, she was scaring the women. You know, it's a scary diagnosis, but we're not scary people. Um, and it's a terrible feeling of isolation we have. So we need to be with other people who can understand what we're going through. Who, can, who we can relate to, who we can share stories with. Um, Are women living longer now with metastatic disease than they have in the, in the past? It's the same 40,000 who are dying each year. That number has been constant forever since they've been keeping statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are still dying at the same rate. And at the same time, we do know that there are people who are living longer. So I don't know if they're being diagnosed earlier, which gives the appearance of living longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if the statistic, if they did an updated statistic now, now that people are using Herceptin, which is such a wonderful targeted therapy that is truly extending life, that could change the statistic. Ellen, you were, you were diagnosed in 2003, is that right? Yes, and um, and you have been, since that time, on multiple treatments? Um, I've been very fortunate. It's kind of unique. I've been on the same two treatments the entire time. And my cancer is stable in my spine. Mm-hmm. Uh, my scan numbers show that it's being more active. Each time I get scanned, it shows more activity, but it hasn't shown more spread. So the plan is to keep me on the same treatment for as long as we can. Mm-hmm. They try to, like, suck out everything from a treatment as long as it's working at all. And do you ha- does the cancer cause you uh, to have uh, symptoms or discomfort, or did, did, did the treatment cause you to have side effects? I mean, how does, how does this affect your daily life? 
Um, well, for me, um, one of my treatments is an injection in the muscle in my butt, which is incredibly painful. <laughs> um, but the pain lasts for just, you know, two days, and then I'm fine. And then there's an infusion I get, which just takes time. I don't have a bad reaction to it. Some people do. They get nauseous afterwards. They get very tired. I seem to tolerate it really well. And I've been very um, unique in that experience of doing well with this treatment. And you're living your life. You're working, you're traveling, you're doing the things that you want to do. Well, I live my life between scans yeah. and between treatments. Yeah. So I can't make a plan beyond that because I know that the time will come when my treatment will stop working. Yeah. And then I have to be prepared for something else to happen. So I can't really make that long-term plan. Yeah. And the yeah. way it has affected me is I'm living with anxiety, huge anxiety. <laughs> yeah. It's always there. Always present, yeah. It's always present, absolutely. Um, and the cancer is in my bones, so when I feel an ache or pain in my bones, which everyone who's getting older feels, of course, you know, I panic yeah. over the cancer has spread. Yeah. I'm not a person to get headaches, but I wound up getting a headache recently. And I told my oncologist, I've had like two headaches my whole life, so mm. we ran and did a brain scan. Yeah. Um, so it's that anxiety, that fear that's always there, knowing that there's cancer in your body. Suzanne, we've only got a, a minute or so until the break, but um, what, would, would you share with us what, what your treatment is, uh, is like right now and how it's affecting your life? Uh, well, right now I'm actually on uh, weekly chemo. Um, I have three weeks of chemo, and then I have a week off. So um, as opposed to when I was on the hormones, you know, this is a much more um, debilitating type of, of treatment. Um, you know, I always know there's two or three days a week where I'm going to be uh, very tired, very achy, um, sort of nauseous. Um, and, you know, I need to plan everything around those days uh, and also, you know, cut back on a lot of the activities that I would love to do because I'm just not able to, to do everything that I want to do. So it's very frustrating. And you were, you were diagnosed in 2004. Right. And you have you had multiple treatments since that time? Uh, I was on the same hormonal treatment for quite a long while, and it stopped working in December. And since then I've been on two other treatments. And this one, current one is um, about seven months right now. And uh, believe it or not, that's actually a good a good run that I'm having with this chemo, and um, I hope to be, as much as it, you know, it doesn't make me feel great, I hope that I can be on it for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. We're talking today on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, uh, we're talking about breast cancer, uh, particularly women living with metastatic breast cancer. We're trying to raise awareness uh, about women who are living with metastatic disease, and, and uh, we've got two great guests on the show today. We are, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about metastatic breast cancer in light of October being National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I'm here with Ellen Moskowitz, who is currently living with advanced breast cancer and is the co-founder of the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, uh, and Suzanne Hebert, who is also living with metastatic disease and is the vice president uh, at the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network. Um, Suzanne, we started to talk, uh, you know, uh, uh, before the break, um, a little bit about uh, uh, treatment and uh, and, and uh, some of the challenges around treatment that it really can affect your your quality of life, your energy level um, can 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 affect your your planning. You talked about you have uh, you have two kids. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the day to day challenges you face as someone uh, living with metastatic breast cancer and what the what the considerations are and things you have to think about in your life every day that uh, that the average person does not even really have to consider? Well, I, I think, you know, number one is that you're, you're always in treatment. Um, you know, have a, a gazillion doctor's appointments and scans. Um, you really, you know, you don't always know how you're going to feel. So it's very hard to plan. Um, I find myself, you know, wanting to, you know, volunteer at my child's school and get involved and then always in the back of my mind thinking, well, I don't want to take on too much in case, you know, I'm not feeling so well and I can't follow through. Yeah. So um, I've got that aspect. But also, you know, being a mom, um, you know, that that's a 24-7 job, of course, and, um, you know, I just can't, you know, take a time out. I mean, I really um, need to be available for my kids all the time, so I really need to try to juggle, um, you know, how I'm feeling with taking care of them. And, um, you know, they're getting a little bit older right now. They're six and eight, um, mm-hmm. so they can understand a little bit more that I just need to rest. But when I was first diagnosed, and they were, you know, very young, they were 18 months and three years old, Yeah, I mean, they absolutely wouldn't understand, you know, why sure. mom needed to rest. And, sure. um, and I remember one time um, my daughter had a preschool program, and uh, my white counts at the time were very low from my treatment, and my doctor advised me that I should not be out in public where I could, you know, pick up a virus or a yeah. germ because my body just wouldn't be able to fight that off. 
Yeah. No, you know, I, I just couldn't go to the program, and you know, trying to explain that to a three-year-old, um, yeah. very tough. So, how do you guys talk about it now in your family? How, how do you talk about cancer with your kids now? I mean, they're still a pretty young age. So, how, how does it come into the, uh, you know, into the conversation? And w- what advice would you give to, to other women who are living with metastatic disease who may also have ha- have young children? How do you how do you deal with that? Well, um, in my child's case. Um, basically all they've ever known. I mean, the cancer word has been in our house forever, but, um, you know, I think nobody knows your kids better than you do. Um, I've read lots of books and papers about, you know, how to talk about it with them, but honestly, I think I take my cues from them. Um, I have a daughter who who loves to ask lots of questions about it now, and I have a son who, who really doesn't like to talk about it at all, and I make sure that I let them know that I'm always here. They can ask me any questions. I don't hide things from them at all. Um, I think that you need to talk about it with them in an age-appropriate way. You know, we went from talking about, you know, mommy's boo-boo to now using more, you know, technical terms. And um, I think, um, y- you know, you need to try to keep life as normal as possible for them. Yeah, and um, make sure that they know, you know, they had nothing to do with my getting cancer, yeah. not contagious, um, always letting them know that there are lots of people that love them and that are going to be there to take care of them so that they're not worried about that. But just keeping an open conversation and trying to, you know, take your cues from, from them yeah. is really the best that you can do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ellen, while we're on the, the topic of talking about families, what 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 are the best ways that that, that families and, and you know and friends can support a loved one going through through metastatic breast cancer? I know everybody kind of deals with things differently, and they want you know want, want different things. So how do you make right. that connection? How do you communicate about what your needs are, and and um, you know and, and talk to folks around you? Well, I think a very important thing is for people to know. What not to do? <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, tell nobody us about that. in life who appreciates unsolicited advice. Yeah, um, no matter where they are under any circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So we really don't want to hear about how they know the cure for us. You know, mm-hmm. if our doctor doesn't know the cure. Everybody else seems to know the cure. You know, there's a diet, there's an herb, there's some positive thinking going on. That if you just do this. You know, you can be cured. Mm. That advice is not appreciated, and it, and it tends to generate guilt in us. Yeah. We don't want to hear about people who beat the disease. That's totally not relevant to us. Mm-hmm. What it is, Kim, is that everybody wants a happy ending, and yeah. there isn't a happy ending with metastatic disease. Yeah. Everybody wants closure. They want things to get better, mm-hmm. and they can't fix us. There's nothing they can say or do to fix it, but what they can do is listen. So they need to be able to let the person with the disease set the indicators. Like you said, we're all different. So those of us with the disease have to set the indicators of how much we want to talk and who we want to talk to. And then someone has to be able to just shut their mouth and listen. And that's incredibly hard to do. Yeah. Um, But that's what's needed. And they need to just let us know that they're there and they care and they love love us. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are there good ways that you've seen people manage that? I mean, I know folks say, oh, gosh, I get so frustrated. Everybody wants to know what's going on. Everybody's calling. Everybody, you know, I don't have the energy to respond to everybody. Or sometimes people 
want to be helpful but don't quite know how to do that and, and, and don't quite know what your needs are? Have you found folks who figured out a good system for that kind of communication? Well, there, there is a friend of mine who went on to a website where she reports to people and she sent everybody the website information and every few days she or her husband update what's going on. So that keeps people informed and she just doesn't have the energy to answer all the individual emails and calls. Right. So that's very helpful for some people. Yeah. And is it and and um and is it helpful for the person with cancer to to say to folks, look, this is what I need. You know, I need somebody to take my kid to school this morning. I need uh, you know, dinner this night, I need somebody to take care of the pet. I mean Absolutely. Um, it's very helpful, but it's a really hard thing for people to do, especially yeah. for women who are so used to being the caregivers to all of a sudden sit back and ask for something. Yeah. So I think it's really great if the friends can anticipate this and not give the message, let me know if there's anything I can do, because that really doesn't work. But yeah. to say, I'm making meatloaf Tuesday night, I'm going to bring some over to you for dinner Wednesday. Right. Or to be specific, right? I think that could really be appreciated, right? Right. And 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 tell me a little bit about um, you know we've talked about the patient. Tell me a little bit about the caregivers. How, how, how does this impact you know let's say a spouse who's living with a you know a husband who's living with a wife with metastatic disease for for perhaps many years? How does it impact uh, you know the the, the the primary caregivers and and do they need to be getting some form of support as well? Oh, absolutely. I think we've all heard stories of husbands who just bailed out. Yeah. Um, that's all too common a scenario. Yeah. And I think it's tremendous stress on the entire family. Yeah. And men are very um, not ready to go into any kind of support situation, which is unfortunate. Um, it's important, all caregivers, men or women, they do need to have their own kind of supports going on for them. Because it's a very challenging situation to be in. Do you you talked about um, at the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network that you don't actually provide support groups or support programs, but you refer people to to things in their communities? Oh yes, on our website we canvassed our members um, last year mm-hmm. to find out what metastatic programs they know of across the entire country, and yep. they let us know, and we put it together, and it's on our website. Um, and we list all the metastatic programs. We found our members don't want to go to breast cancer groups. They want it to be metastatic, and they would even prefer going to a metastatic colon cancer group than a primary breast cancer group. They need to be with others who have that metastatic experience. So we post that information on our website. We also post events that are going on, anything to do with the metastatic community, we're very eager to pass that information along. And we do post for um, the wellness community when you have your programs going on. We make sure we post those events. And do you post programs and support groups for caregivers on the site as well? No, we don't. And, you know, that's something interesting to look into. Well, I can tell you certainly now with the, with the wellness community and Gilda's Club merging, yeah. we now have 50 centers across the country. And at every one of those centers, we provide support groups for caregivers and loved ones. See, that is fabulous. Yeah. And how do you get the word out about that? Well, we've got, uh, you know, a lot of them are physician referrals. Uh, the docs are referring people in. The nurses are referring people in, social workers. Um, we certainly let all the patients know, you know, that we've got these caregiver mm-hmm. groups. We also have caregiver support groups online, on the Internet, 
And those groups are actually being, they're closed groups, so eight to ten people in a group. And those online caregiver groups are all being run by trained licensed therapists. And is it just women who join them or do men also? Oh, no, lots of men in the caregiver group, well, in the patient groups and the caregiver groups. Uh Uh-huh. So I want to let folks know, we're getting up to a break right now, but um, I do want to let folks know that, um, you know, at the Wellness Community and at Gildas Club, we have 50 centers across the country. We do, uh, you know, programs for patients, but also we do at all of our sites programs for caregivers, family members, loved ones. We do a lot of programs for children who have someone with cancer in the family. And then we also have a pretty, uh, pretty robust online community where we do, um, we do support groups and, and educational programs for patients and caregivers as well. Um, This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about metastatic breast cancer today. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Get rid of your back pain. If you have back and neck pain, you'll want to tune in to the Erase Your Back Pain Show with Dr. Melton Schechtsnyder. Each week, the program will discuss topics from Dr. Schechtsnyder's 27 years of experience treating back pain. You'll learn how nutrition, weight loss, and aging can affect your back, and you'll learn how to manage it and take back control of your life. Tune in to the Erase Your Back Pain Show, airing live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about metastatic breast cancer. Uh, we all know that October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I'm here today with Ellen Moskowitz, who is currently living with advanced breast cancer and is the co-founder of the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, and Suzanne Hebert, who is living with metastatic disease and is a vice president at the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network. Um, we've uh, been having a um, really informative conversation about how the needs of, of, of women with metastatic breast cancer are really different than the needs of women who are facing a, a, a diagnosis of breast cancer in 
an earlier uh, stage and that uh, women with metastatic breast cancer are living with this, this disease for a long period of time. There are multiple treatments over many years um, and uh, that the metastatic breast cancer network was founded to really meet the unique needs of this community uh, of women who are dealing with advanced disease, metastatic disease. Um, Suzanne, I want to go just back to the topic again of, of support for those who are just joining us. Um, why is ongoing support so important for li- uh, women living with metastatic disease? Why is it important for them to get support, go to support groups, get connected with other women who are having a, the same or similar experience? Well, uh, when I was diagnosed in 2004, um, you know, at the beginning, you know, you're overwhelmed with support um, from friends, family. You know, people are bringing you dinners and cards, and and it's really wonderful. I mean, you really feel very, very supported. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's now been five years, so that type of support has really tapered off. Um, people don't, you know, understand, you know, that you're still going through treatment and you're still dealing psychologically, you know, with all that you need to deal with, with living with this disease. So really connecting with people who are in your situation um, is, you know, really the best way to just uh, have a support network where people really do understand what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're finding, uh, again, for folks who are joining us, you're finding an increase in the number of programs and support network for women with metastatic disease. Are we seeing an increase in these resources? I definitely think that tide is shifting a little bit. Um, from five years ago, um, when I would search for resources for metastatic, um, they were really, really few and far between. And now, you know, as Ellen had said, we, we have seen other organizations hold, having metastatic-specific programs, um, such as the wellness communities, frankly speaking, about advanced breast cancer. Um, there are uh, organizations that have metastatic telephone support groups. Mm-hmm. There are several online um, good websites that have message boards for the metastatic population. So there are resources. There's certainly not enough, mm-hmm. but I think the tide is shifting uh, a little bit. Ellen, the, um, the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network has events, I know, all across the country. Uh, for women uh, affected by metastatic disease. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those events are like, about what's coming up, and and, um, how how folks can get involved in that? Sure. Well, we have um, national conferences. We've been at Sloan Kettering, at MD Anderson in Texas, Mm -hmm. Dana-Farber in Boston. Um, Just last week, um, Larry Norton gave a talk for us um, in recognition of Metastatic Breast Cancer Awareness Day at Sloan Kettering in New York City. Mm-hmm. It was an educational program. There was a full house. He provided huge hope and information. On Halloween, Drs. Eric Weiner, Nancy Lynn, and Ian Kropp at Dana-Farber are going to be having an open conversation on metastatic breast cancer for two hours, answering all our questions um, all our all our meetings are free and open to anybody who wants to learn about breast cancer. And how can folks find out about these programs? They can come to our website, um, www.nbcnetwork.org. M is in Mary, B is in boy, C is in Charlie. Network.org. Yeah, yeah. M is in metastatic, B is in breast, C is in uh, just so folks, we, so we can get that uh, get that URL right, and I'll I'll say it again towards the end of the show. Great. Um, 
we are moving towards the end of the program today, um, and I would love to hear uh, from both of you, what advice would you offer to someone uh, who's been diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer who is now uh, now facing this? What would, you, what would you tell them? How would you give them advice on, on how to cope with the diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer? I'm going to start with you, Ellen. Yeah, the first, the, my one best piece of advice would be for the person to educate themselves to become their own best advocate. I think it's necessary to keep your own records, your own information. Your doctor, no matter how wonderful this oncologist is, the oncologist sees hundreds upon hundreds of patients, and we have to look out for ourselves. I think we need, as part of our advocacy, to check on our treatments, to look at the chemo bag, to make sure you're getting the correct chemo, to check on the dosage, to not just sit back and trust that everything's going to be running smoothly. Mm-hmm. It's important that we do our own research, and that's difficult because we have to be really selective. We need to find websites that give accurate information, and government websites are really wonderful for this. Um, we need to be able to attend programs to learn about the disease and to reach out to other metastatic patients and share information with them. And we need to be involved in learning about clinical trials because that's our hope for the future. Every treatment that we have now started as a clinical trial. Mm-hmm. So we need to speak with our doctor about trials. Mm-hmm. We need to do our own research And we need to be aware and to keep on top of our situation. We can't put our head in the sand because this is not going to go away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great, great tips. Great advice. Suzanne, I'll ask you the same question, some advice for someone who's just been diagnosed with the disease or someone who's, who's, you know, actively dealing with it now. Um, What what, what advice, what tips would you offer? Well, I would absolutely um, tell them to reach out to others with metastatic breast cancer. I guarantee you that they are out there and they want to connect with you. Uh, If there is not a support group that you can go to in your area, a metastatic support group, there are other ways that you can uh, connect. Oftentimes you can talk with uh, your doctor, your social worker at your hospital, even the nurses in the chemo room and let them know that, you know, you're interested in talking with someone and uh, they would, in most cases, be very happy to um, connect you with someone else. And also, you know, to, um, you know, on our website, we do have a list of the telephone support groups and uh, websites. Um, there are many, many ways that you can connect. And um, we also have on our website information about um, how you can start your own support group. We can um, link you up. Um, with a woman who started a very successful support group in the Annapolis area, and she'll be very willing to help you start a support group in your area. And that can be found through the website as well? Yes. And, Ellen, I just want to quickly ask you, there there is information about clinical trials on your website, or uh, do you guide women to a place where they can look for trials? We do have on our resource page some select sites for clinical trials. We don't um, recommend specific trials, Mm -hmm. but we do recommend the sites that have good information. And it's very challenging. If you've ever gone to these websites for Mm -hmm. clinical trials, it's a maze. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They do need to be made more patient-friendly. More patient-friendly, yeah. Yes. We We are working with um, breastcancertrials.org at UCSF. Ellie Cohen has been very cooperative in trying to make her website easier for us to navigate. Great, great. 
Yeah. Um, Excellent, Alan. We're going to have to. I just want to uh, mention the website again because mm-hmm. um, we are getting to the end of the show. Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, www.mbcnetwork.org, or you can call uh, the organization at 888-500-0370. I want to thank our guests today for a wonderful show. Uh, visit us at the Wellness Community, www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Uh, follow Frankly Speaking About Cancer on Twitter. Uh, Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.